This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Good morning. My name is Paul, the teacher here, one of the elders at House on the Rock. To our guests, thank you for being with us. You are very welcome here. It means a lot that you join us on a Sunday morning. Those watching online, thank you uh, for tuning in. I'm going to take out a Bible, take out the notes that you received when you walked in. We're going to move through um, a passage in Matthew together. EDC, everyday carry. The things that you can't leave the house without. It's a set of keys. Maybe it's a, um, a purse. It's a wallet. Maybe it's a watch. Maybe it's a, a pocket knife. Maybe it's a particular coffee mug. These are the things that you can't face the day without these things. They are your everyday carries. And it's not just that they're these things. They're the right kinds of these particular things. So no, it's not just keys, but they have to be these keys. It's not just a phone. It has to be this phone. It has to be this coffee mug. It's particular to you. And if you don't have them when you get to the day, you're like, this stinks. I can't do anything. Maybe it's a particular type of coffee. Not just coffee, it has to be this kind of coffee. How many of you guys, uh, maybe ladies, also carry a pocket knife? My grandfather carried a little old-time pocket knife as long as I can remember. Yeah, right. Adam, would you come up here for a second, please? You got your, you got your pocket knife with you? Yes. All right. Where is that, buddy? It's always this one. This is, this is the Adam Bennett everyday carry pocket knife. That's, that's, that's legit, man. That's like, that's serious. <laughs> Do a lot of work with that, Adam Bennett. But let's just say, just to prove my point, that it wasn't this knife, maybe a butter knife would work. <laughs> right? Because it's a, it's a knife. Come on, hold it with pride. We're going to face the day with the butter knife. Right? Yeah. Men, would that work? Is that, yes? It's, right? Right? No? no. Sarah Gosser's like, absolutely. We are that effective. <laughs> and, and I've seen you. You carry, you carry you know, coffee. I've seen you come in drinking coffee in the morning. Particular kind of coffee? Black, black coffee. Black, black. And when I think of it, it's, it's this. It's just no sugar, no, no. Uh, in fact, someone gave me something that maybe you would like. This is, this is actually a five-pound bag of coffee. But this is Valhalla Java Odin Force Blend. Forged from the volcanic soils of Indonesia. Nutrient-rich soils of Central and South America. Death Wish Coffee Company presents Valhalla Java Odin Force Blend. With maximum flavor and a high caffeine content, this coffee will bring you back from the nights you thought you'd never wake up from. <laughs> Do you bleed black? And there's a spokesman in the back, if any of you would like to, he's probably drinking it right now. This is what our sound guy drinks before he runs sound at church. 
Um, but, but I mean, coffee's coffee, right? Coffee's coffee, so maybe instead of that, maybe it's my wife's vanilla biscotti. That, that, that'll get the job done. And I've seen you, you, got, you have a mug that you'll carry around, right? But we don't have to be too particular about the coffee mug. Maybe uh, my wife's little pretty little Starbucks one will work. So it look, kind of matches your shirt. It does. It does. It does. We are ready to face the day with our butter knife, vanilla biscotti coffee, and our nice, pretty Starbucks mug. But yeah, this, it pops. It pops. It pops. Now, we had a building day here at the church. Lots of projects. Guys, girls are coming in with massive, massive tool totes that just screamed competency and ability. But it doesn't have to be a particular, I mean, any bag will do, right? Right? Any bag will do. So, uh, <laughs> there we go. It matches. Look at this. It's the whole ensemble. Just, it's awesome. It's, and, and they were working, and they had the, the, their tapes uh, and their, their screwdrivers and hammers, and we don't want to be without, but any tape measure will do. So here's a seamstress's tape. I thought this, this works, right? This could work. We could kind of hang that like that. And Adam Bennett, a man's man, ready for the day. Butter. That's not just it's the thing. It needs to be the right kind of thing, doesn't it? It needs to be the right mug. It has to be whatever your everyday carry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to keep the pocket knife? No. You, you sure? Don't you just scream confidence? You don't want the, the you don't want the coffee either. Probably least of all. Probably least of all. <laughs> Here, here's your Sunday Sunday best. There you go. There you go. It's not just you carry this thing. It has to be the right thing. It has to be the right coffee, the right mug, the right keys, the right whatever it might be. But Jesus would say to the Christ follower, you need to carry certain things every day. But they need to be the right things. It's not that just you're carrying things. You need to be carrying the right things. Or, Jesus would say, you cannot face the day. You cannot face the day. You can't do the work that following Jesus calls for. You're not prepared. We are in the season of Lent, and a Lent is preparation. Lent means making ready, looking ahead to crucifixion and looking ahead to resurrection morning. And how do I enter into that? So we heeded the invitation of John the Baptist who said, come out to the wilderness. Come out to the wilderness. And we've done that. We are doing that. Following Jesus' example, the wilderness where God reveals our hearts. Where evil tempts what God is testing where God, sometimes it feels like he leaves us there. But he leaves us with his promises, his commands, where our relationship with God is fortified. Last week, hearing the words of God, we, we pressed onto the topic of heart. What is our heart? How are we taking our heart seriously? He said, our heart is a garden. It's ready for seeds. 
can plant flowers or you will plant weeds. What does that mean to take the heart seriously? We looked at some of the numbers, habits that we practice, the way we position and posture ourselves before the grace of God that lets God do things within our heart space and how to take that seriously. But as we move through wilderness and as we move towards Jerusalem and the cross, Jesus would say, hey, you need to have these things with you. You need to bring these things and you'll be prepared. So please open up the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 16. I've been reading through the gospel according to Matthew together. I encourage you to do that. Uh, one of the, there's reading guides out front uh, if you haven't. And I jump on in, jump on in with us. And we're going to be looking through a passage today that you will read through over the course of this week. Matthew 16. And we'll start in verse 21 and we're going to go through the first section in chapter 17. And when we get to this place in the gospel, there's a shift that happens in how Jesus interacts with his disciples. Up to this point, there's been big teaching with lots of people and lots of gatherings. But now it's as if Jesus begins to hone in specifically on his followers, this proper closer group, to get them ready for something that's coming down the path. As we look at this passage, you're going to see a few things as we read through. You're going to see a summary statement in the beginning. You're going to see a brief argument that Peter and Jesus have. Jesus is going to give his disciples a specific teaching. And then he's going to show them and reveal himself to the three on the top of a mountain. All of this to get them ready for what happens. So as I turn to Matthew 16, you turn to Matthew 16. I'm going to start reading in verse 21, and I'll read through 17, verse 13. And we do ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that God would press these words into our hearts and our minds. May there be good seeds here that grow in our souls. Matthew 16, let me start in 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed, and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? For the son of man is going to come with angels and the glory of his father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. 
and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise, have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the son of man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? Well, he answered, well, Elijah does come and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. They did not recognize him. Did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Maybe we were able to see a little bit of a summary in the beginning and Jesus's argument with Peter about what that, uh, the path, the agenda ahead looks like. Jesus gives them some teaching and then he takes three of them and gives them a special revelation, a special picture to help them move forward. Now let's, let's just walk through this this morning, finding those everyday carry things that a disciple needs to have. Let me go back. Let's look at verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show. That means to explain, to prove something, uh, to um, give evidence of. Began to prove to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem to suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. It kind of appears as you follow with the disciples that Jesus gets to Jerusalem and all this stuff happens and they had no idea. Like, holy cow, how did this happen? When according to the gospels, Jesus worked constantly, arduously to help them understand what the path of head was to be. And he gives them this summary. Hey, there's going to be suffering. Uh, I will be killed. And on the third day, I will be raised. Jesus says, if you're going to be prepared, you need to carry with you every day the right story. Do you write that down in your notes with me this morning? The right story. A follower of Jesus Christ needs to be carrying the right story, not just a story. Many of us live in a story. For some, it's a story you got from mom, from dad. It's a story you got from school. It's a story you got from the internet. It's a false story. It's a false narrative. But Jesus says you need to be carrying the right story. And the right story has these elements of Jesus. It's Jesus suffering, the son of man suffering. It's, it's the son of man being killed. It's being raised from the grave. So let's just unpack that. Because 
Christ followers suffer. We have a habit of suffering. Sometimes we suffer for the right story. Most of the time we suffer for the wrong story. We suffer because we just make wrong choices. We suffer because we are disobedient. We suffer because we give in to culture and false narratives. But Jesus says, if you hold on to the right story, oh, it involves suffering for these reasons. What is it? He says, I will suffer at the hands of the politically powerful and the religious elite, the scholars and the experts. I will suffer at their hand. So let's figure out why that is. You have to jump ahead to, to Matthew 26 when Jesus actually interacts with them. Matthew 26. And this is a passage I've brought you to before. And I would say that you need to get a hold of what's inside of this. If you're going to have the right lens by which to read the story and know the story. As Jesus is interacting uh, with the Pharisees, with the Sadducees, with the, the high priests, Jesus says this to them. He's kind of on trial. He's been arrested. This is after Gethsemane. This is after the Lord's Supper. Verse 64 of chapter 26. He says, I tell you, from now on you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robe and said, he uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What's your judgment? And they said, he deserves death. Jesus says something that sends them into hysteria. Whatever this phrase is, to understand this phrase as they heard it, I mean, they go nuts. The high priest is tearing his robe. He's calling out heresy and calling Jesus, this is blasphemy. And they're condemning Jesus to death. What is it that Jesus said? What was Jesus stepping into? What's this story that Jesus was putting forth? How did he understand his responsibility? I've said it before. And I would encourage you in your Bibles to circle it. A man named Daniel had a series of visions. And one of those visions, Jesus is anchoring himself in this moment. It has to do with that phrase, son of man. In Daniel chapter seven, Daniel has a series of visions one night where he sees uh, geopolitical powers rising up of various types and kinds. Imagine if you will, symbolically, if you were to have those dreams today. Oh, I saw China rising up. I saw America rising up. I saw Russia rising up. I see these powers and it shakes him to his core. So he sees these power bases and the weight behind them. And then he has another vision where he says he sees the ancient of days. It's a way of talking about God and all of his power and his grandeur. But then he has another vision. And in Daniel chapter seven, Daniel's a trickier one to find. Most of the time, if you open your Bible right to the center, it comes near Isaiah. And if you keep going, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, it gets you to Daniel. In Daniel chapter seven, he has this to say about a vision. This is Daniel 7, 13 through 14. I saw in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days. 
And he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. He goes on to see one of those beasts come and ravish the people of God, but God rising up again afterwards. But this is where Jesus grabs that phrase, son of man, because this is how Jesus understands his purpose, his ministry. He's the one who's stepping into the vision that Daniel had of one that God has appointed and given all divine authority to, but also one who will suffer on behalf of all God's people. He will stand in for all of God's people. And he is one who will come again because his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. What Jesus says to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, to the high priest is, I am the one whom God has given divine authority. I am the one who will suffer for all of God's people. I am the one who will come again and rule and reign forever. And if you're a person in power, if you're an expert, if you're political, there's no greater threat than this. If you have your own kingdom and find out that there's a greater who will rule over, 40 times through all the gospels, this is how Jesus presents himself. People call him Lord. People call him Messiah. People will call him Christ. Jesus always presents himself as son of man, meaning the one who is given all authority, the one who will suffer for all of God's people, the one who will return again. Those three elements are always at play. This is the story, is what Jesus is saying. This is why I'm here, is what Jesus is saying. But here's the thing that really stinks. We as humans have a habit of getting this story wrong all the time. We have a habit of skewing, distorting, misunderstanding the story. I mean, just look in Matthew 26. There are a whole bunch of people who are supposed to be experts. They're like, "Uh uh-uh, that's not the story, and Jesus is not the center of that story. We will get the story wrong. We will pull out the parts that we don't like. I really don't like the fact that Jesus has authority. I like to do my thing. Oh, the whole suffering on behalf of all people, the whole sin thing. Maybe we could take the sin piece out because that just makes people upset. We don't want to hurt people's feelings. I don't want to talk about sin. Let's take that out of the story. Oh, he's coming again to hold me accountable. There's accountability. My actions, there's consequences. Oh, maybe we'll pull that part out of the story. We as human beings can't handle the right story. In fact, this is exactly where Jesus and Peter collide. If you go back to verse 22 in Matthew 16, Jesus, this is the story. I'm going to go suffer at their hands. I will be killed. And on the third day I'll be raised. 
Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it for you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Another way to translate that and understand it, Jesus, I mean, Peter almost presents it as a prayer. God, you are merciful. You will never let this happen. God's God's not going to let that happen to you. God's a merciful God. He's a loving God. How could that happen to you? There's no way. God's loving. He wouldn't do that. And to that, Jesus, attuned, says, get behind me, Satan. Now that's harsh. That's a little harsh, isn't it? I mean, just a little bit before this, Peter's like on a high note. If you read through earlier in Matthew, I mean, he's like knocking it out of the park. Jesus is answering questions and Peter's answering it. And like Peter's the man. Then all of a sudden, you go from being the man in the whole group to being called Satan. How so? Why? What is it that Jesus was sensitive to? Well, Jesus was sensitive to the fact that the lie he heard is the exact same lie that demonic forces have been throwing on humanity since the beginning. That you can have a crown without a cross. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. You can be in charge and you don't have to be accountable to God for it. Everything will be fine. In Matthew chapter 4, a passage that we looked at when Jesus is in the wilderness, what does the evil one tempt Jesus with? You can have all of this. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. Because you can have a crown and you don't need to carry a cross. And so when Peter is presented with the right story, that there is suffering, that there is cross, that there is return, Peter's like, no, 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 no. That can't be right. A loving, merciful God wouldn't do that. Jesus calls it out. Satan, no. That's a lie. That's a lie. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. What you are telling me, if I were to give into that story, would ruin my day, would ruin my ministry. That's holding me back. That story will hold me back from what God is calling me to do. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Man likes to have a crown without a cross. God says, this is how we save the world. You need to carry with you the right story But each day you need to have the right resolve. Write that down. The right resolve. To hold fast to the right thing. That's a hill worth dying on. We like sides. We like to take sides. That's why Facebook is so fun. We get to find the people that are on our side. And then we get to bash people and snipe at them from the the mountaintops when those people are against us. We're like, oh, you're wrong. Didn't you know? You need me to set you right. 
Let me tell you the argument that will put it all together for you. But if you're a person of any discernment and any wisdom, you look at that and you're like, that's something worth fighting over? That's something worth engaging in? That matters? That's what it's all about? That will fix the current geopolitical problem that we have? Cats versus dogs? No. You need the right resolve. You hold on to the right thing. Because look, culture resists the right story. Even the church itself resists the right story. These are Jesus' disciples. His followers, they're jacking up the story. Spiritual forces themselves are trying to get you to believe a false narrative. That you can have a crown without carrying a cross. Because God is merciful and loving and kind. And he'll backdoor the system. You need to have the right resolve. To hold fast to Jesus' authority. To hold fast to the battle over sin. To hold fast to his return. And so Jesus says every day, you need the right equipment. Write that down. The right equipment. The right story. The right resolve. To carry the right equipment, which is the cross. The right equipment. Verses 24 through 28. Let me start reading verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples. The conversation continues. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give up in return for his soul? The right equipment, the cross. Here many of us fail. Here many of us suffer with the right story that what Jesus is inviting us to is a life that includes suffering and cross and self-denial and death. We like holding on to Jesus' cross. And don't get me wrong, singing and worshiping together and singing about what Jesus has done is important and we gather together with our artists to do that. We like Jesus' cross. That's awesome. It's beautiful and it's powerful and there's so much grace and love there. But we forget the part of the story that says, you're supposed to bring yours too. Where's your cross? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian and a scholar, a pastor in the middle of Nazi Germany. And he was heartbroken because he saw that the church had so compromised itself and pretty much became a tool of Hitler. So he tried to raise up a disciple-making movement. We as elders have read and been studying some of his stuff because he confronts what he calls cheap grace. Cheap grace. In essence, a crown without the cross. He's eventually arrested, held in prison. And in 1945, as as the Allied forces are sweeping through and as Germany, the Third Reich is crumbling 
and people are being set free, Hitler goes through to, in essence, clean house. And he has Hitler dragged out and hung up. Excuse me, he has Bonhoeffer drug out and hung by uh, piano wire and killed. But Bonhoeffer was known for saying this in his book, Discipleship. He said, every call of Christ leads to death. Every call of Christ leads unto death. Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to, I want you to come with me. I want you to come with me to Jerusalem. I'm going to get my cross. You need to bring your cross. You need to deny self and you need to hold on to the reality of death. Following Jesus means you need the right equipment and you need a cross. But instead of bringing our cross to marriage, we'll tell the story of no-fault divorce. Instead of bringing our cross to the family, we'll tell the story of no-fault parenting where we don't want to make our kids sad and we give them whatever they want. Instead of bringing the cross to work, We'll tell the story of victimhood. My boss is mean. Instead of bringing the cross to church, we'll tell the story of consumerism and cheap grace. Instead of bringing our cross to relationships, we'll tell the story of easy sex. But Jesus says it's death and the denial of self. This is why the open door into following Jesus is baptism. Repent and be baptized. That's what Peter would say in Jerusalem a couple months from now. It is identifying with the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. This is the story we anchor ourselves in. And so when someone comes and they want to follow Jesus, what's the first thing they're to do? You be baptized. You identify with his death. You identify with his resurrection. You are stepping into the story that includes suffering and crucifixion. We don't hold back. It's out front. There's no easy believism. There's no cheap grace. We are a people that embrace the cross. It'd be a beautiful thing this coming Resurrection Sunday. People will come forward and they will be baptized. They'll say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm leaving the kingdom of self behind. I am stepping into the kingdom of Jesus. And that means to participate in, I will move with Jesus towards Jerusalem. I will embrace suffering. I will hold on to the cross. Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem to get my cross. Are you bringing your cross with you? Without the right equipment, you can't do the job. We had a great building day yesterday here. Lots of teams, lots of people working on projects, specifically over the blasting zone in the lab area. People were coming through the door. They were carrying their, all their equipment that they needed to get the jobs done, the right equipment. Adam specifically was working on a plumbing project, removing a drinking fountain, putting in a... Um, a prep sink back in the resource room for the blasting zone, just snacks and cups and 
that kind of thing. This is an old building, old plumbing, old copper plumbing. And he and my son Jackson, who was helping, they kind of collided pretty early into the problem that they needed to tap into this old copper plumbing, which needed they needed the right equipment, the right fitting, so they could put in the new sink. Without the right equipment, you couldn't get the job done. I'd be like, duct tape? Does that mean, right? Could you do that? Duct tape would work, right? Wouldn't that work? No, 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 no. You need the right equipment to get the job done. Later in the day, I was the one that got sent to Home Depot with the shopping list of their supplies. That was a great idea. <laughs> Give the pastor a credit card. Go to Home Depot. Get the stuff we need. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. There was a list that they gave me. We need this and this and this and this and this. One of the, as I'm going through the store, I, my phone vibrates. And Mr. Bill said, oh, we also need you to pick up this particular electrical part. Deb's eyeballs got really big. Like, Paul's going to kill somebody. <laughs> yeah, right? I know no electrical stuff. But he sent me a picture. He said, we need four of this part. Hmm. So I go to the electrical section, and there, there's this, the size of a football field. with all these. And I'm just going up and down the aisle because I need to have the right part. Without the right part, you can't get the job done. And I found what I thought was it. It was a little bit different, but it was kind of close. So I did, I'm like, I sent a picture to Mr. Bill. Is this it? Is this what I'm supposed to have? He's like, yes, that's the part. Awesome. Because without the right equipment, you can't get the job done. Jesus says without the right equipment, you can't get the job done. You cannot do what love will demand of you what sacrifice will demand of you, what the gospel will call you to without a cross. In marriage, in family, work, day-to-day -day obedience, without before you stepping out the door, you grab your keys, you grab your coffee, and you pick up your cross. Jesus says, you can't do it. You can't follow me. But Jesus knows what he's asking. Because it's putting the bar pretty high, right? I mean, in the age of consumerism and where you can get whatever you want whenever you want it, because this is America and God bless America. Jesus knows what he's asking of you today. And he would give something to you that he gave to his disciples. You need the right story. You need the right resolve. You need the right equipment. But Jesus would say that if you're going to embrace the cross, you also need to look towards the resurrection, meaning you need to have the right vision. Fourthly, would you write that down? The right vision. I need the right story. I need the right resolve to hold on to that story and pick up the right equipment, the cross. But each day we need to carry the right vision. For Jesus says this in verse 27, for the son of man, this is Matthew 16, verse 27. For the son of man is going to come with his angels in glory of his father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. And truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, led him up a high mountain, by themselves. 
And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Chapter break's not helpful here. Okay? You have to remember the chapter break, that big 17, where it goes from this part to this part. That was, that was added a thousand years later to kind of help us maneuver a big scroll. But read it and understand it as it's flowing. He says, hey, deny yourself. Pick up your cross. I'm returning with all of the angels in my glory, my Father's glory. In fact, some of you will see me come like the Son of Man in my kingdom. And six days later, as they were walking by, he said to three, hey, come on, we're going up to a mountain. That's important, high mountain. That tells me that something important is about to happen. And it says he's transfigured, he's transformed. He, they get a vision of his glorified being. And there appears Moses and Elijah. That's all Bible language for the return of Jesus. He said to them, hey, I need to go get my cross. You need to bring your cross. But to do that, hold on to this. I'm coming back. I am making this right. Did you notice though Peter got it wrong again? Dude, I love this guy. There's room for me. There's room for me because I would have screwed it up too. Here he is transformed, his glorified presence. And here's Moses and it's Elijah, this beautiful mountaintop vista. And it's amazing. And there's probably really good Hillsong music in the background. And it's just, and it's smoke machines and the lights are, and I'm just having this high mountain moment. And Peter's like, oh, this is great. Shout to the Lord, all the earth lads. And, and I, I know I'll build, I'll build him a tent and I'll build him a tent and I'll build a him a tent and we could stay up here forever on the mountaintop because who doesn't like to stay up on the mountaintop where everything is just right and in the middle of putting his second foot in his mouth God jumps in and says hey this is my son you really need to listen to him and it says it throws him to his knees. And Jesus says, do not fear. Do not fear. A vision is something that's coming. It's something that's on the way. He said, we need to go down the mountain. Hold on to this vision. In fact, I want you to share this vision. Share this picture of the Son of Man after I've been resurrected. Help the other disciples put this in context. Help them get the story right. Once he's returned and once he ascends to the Father, hey, you guys need to know we saw this. Jesus told us all about this. this we need to hold on to this. This is important. But in this moment, Jesus, we need to go back down the valley. We need to pick up our cross. We need to get to Jerusalem. This is why it was important to me to walk us through things like creed. Because the world whispers all week 
and evil whispers all week. And we need to keep coming back to the story, the right story. For I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and will return to judge the living and the dead. Got to keep coming back to the right story. Jesus in all of his authority, suffering and confronting the reality of sin and death and his return. And holding on to that vision of him coming back. Not me going, him coming back. That's the vision. I don't hold on to the vision of me getting out of here. The theology is he comes back here. Where's your cross? Did you bring it? Where's your cross? Well, Jesus carried one, so I don't have to. No. Jesus carried one so you would know how to. Death, denial, humility. We know that there's things that we have to put behind us. That's what Jesus is. Get those lies behind me. Get that lie behind me. There is no crown without a cross. I will have to suffer. I must suffer. That's how love moves forward. Love doesn't move forward in power and manipulation. Love moves forward in grace and submission. So I bring my cross. What would that look like? Let's say marriage or being single. What would a cross look like in that type of environment? It would be uh, a call to sexual purity in this day and age. Wouldn't it? Purity. What about communication and how I talk to other people? If I'm bringing my cross with me, self-denial, death, whether it was social media or with a coworker, a family member, a friend, that means I always communicate with grace and truth. I'm kind. How about parenting? What does it look like to bring your cross to parenting? Or grandparenting. Grandkids need crosses too. Yeah, that's when I give them back to the parents. Right? That means I need to confront those things that hinder their growth. I need to confront the human thinking that they might be subjected to on a daily basis. There's conversations of grace and love. But it comes back to the cross because Jesus is the authority and we are called to suffer for love.
and he will return. Parenting, you need to bring your cross to parenting. How about work? Bring your cross to work day. It's a whole lot more than just wearing a t-shirt or a coffee cup. That would be humility. Valuing conduct and character. Knowing that I labor for the Lord. What about bringing my cross to finances? Easy now. That's my money. Oh. Historically, when the church practices seasons of Lent, it's built around three disciplines. Fasting, scripture reading, and giving alms. Financial generosity. We have often taken our Easter offering and giving it away in its entirety to missional projects, gospel endeavors. And we had some ideas that we'd been kicking around. We had conversations with Corey, Hope Team, and what was floated was, what if this year, understanding what's going on in the world, what if we took our whole Easter offering and we gave it to the refugees in Ukraine, to the gospel workers on the ground, bringing people water, bring people food. We have some contacts. And so, yeah, let's do that. So you see there's information in your notes to encourage you to maybe start setting aside money for an offering, a larger offering. Maybe it could be the biggest offering we've ever received. And knowing it's not going to stay here, we're sending it away. We're going to send it to those that we see in the news who've been chased out of home. And we give from a place of reflection. Wow, I have home. I have friends. I have stability. I have safety. I have a church family. I have things that I can complain about. No one will shoot me for it. No one's hunting me. No bombs are dropping on my kids right now. God is gracious to me. And I have some that I can share. I will give. I will give to this. And in that, I humble myself and I put my cross on. Because instead of maybe going out to eat, I'm going to pick up my cross. Maybe instead of buying Starbucks, I'm going to pick up my cross. Maybe instead of doing this and this and this and this between now and Easter, I'm going to pick up my cross. And setting aside to give towards this end. It's an idea. Another option. Let me float by you. Go to Kroger's. Pick up a couple Kroger cards. I call this the Ramona program. Mo does this, and I think it's awesome. And others of you do this. Go pick up a couple Kroger cards and just have them with you. You will bump into somebody who has a need. The Holy Spirit will bring them by. Give it to them. Hey, Jesus wants you to have this. God bless. Have a great day. Could be a $10 card, $25 card. I don't know. If that's too much for you, put it in the offering basket and give it here because people come through the doors constantly. And that's one of the things that we do to help meet needs. Here, here's a Kroger card. Will that help this week? Help us stack up, build up a little so that when we go over to the safe and we need to help someone, there's resources there that are set aside and dedicated. But yeah, pick up a couple Kroger cards. What an easy way to bring the cross to your finances.
Maybe write that down next week. Make that happen. When you live in the right story, you're going to experience resistance. You're going to experience some pushback from the world, from spiritual forces. You're going to be called to die to self. But maybe this week, take that heroic minute. That alarm goes off. Put your feet on the ground. Step into the right story. Ask God to give you the right resolve. You grab your keys, you grab your coffee, and you pick up your cross, and you hold on to the right vision. My king is coming back. Conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, but on the third day he rose again. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can. Again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.